can I make money in the music business? Why copyright? Should I make a CD anymore? Trying to break into the music and entertainment biz? Wondering how the business works? Wondering how guys like Elton John and MC Hammer go bankrupt? Why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the University's Music Business Faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the Music Management Program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks, right? Mine's direct deposit, I think. <laughs> Gonna break down the doors. Gonna interrupt your everyday. Cause we, we got something to say. I don't know the song well enough. This is... Brave new radio, 88.7 WPSC. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. I am El Professor, David Kirk Philp, along with El Doctor Esteban. And how'd you like spring today? It's a horrible day. Horrible day. We really? had 40, 40 degrees in rain. That's right, but it was spring. Right, and we we're told that there's a state of emergency in effect right now. God, I think that maybe because our governor is... Well, never mind. <laughs> this, is, this is all political talk. Right now we're taking calls from the governor on the line. Yes, Governor Christie, what, how can we help you? Oh, he hung up. So um, this is Music Biz 101 and more. Already our jokes are failing. That was Dr. Esteban Marconi speaking with you. You uh, can always reach us, musicbiz101wp.com. We're the only free advice college radio, music, and entertainment biz talk show and podcast in todas las Americas. Our producer this fine day and every day is the fine and wonderful Philip Gorachowski. We also have a student co-host tonight. She's a very fine person. Her name is Julie Wilgos. Julie Wilgos! Julie Wilgos! Say hello, Julie. Hi. Hello, Julie. Hello. We also have a guest. His name is... Four syllables. We'll use all four. His name is Harry Wanger. Harry Wanger! Harry Wanger! And it's a soft G. It's, it's the, you, the G isn't even there. It's Wanger. You just kind of touch upon the G and you jump right off, right? The family preference is Wanger. So you, it's a hard G. It's, you get what, in yes. there. Yes. It's wow. an angry, bitter G that you've got in there. Yeah. Are G. you going to sing anymore? Uh, yes. <laughs> After the break, at some point, there is a lot of vocalizing. I'm there. looking for a new host. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Julie's right here. I know. I can do it. There you go. It's a, it's <laughs> up, up, upstart child. So let's see. Musicbiz101.com. We have a newsletter. It goes out every Sunday night. And what you guys are we talking about tonight? Um, we will talk about how you can tweet us right now because we have lots of questions for Harry Wanger at musicbiz101wp and always listen to the podcast. We're talking with Harry because Harry Wanger is a producer. He is the uh, a VP of, is it catalog development or is it A&R at Universal Music Enterprises? It's VP of A&R for Universal Music Enterprises and Universal Music Enterprises is the catalog division of Universal, Universal music, music Group. Ah, yes, okay. And I have known Harry for... <clears throat> Since po- the polygram days, since the later 1990s, mm-hmm. uh, he and I worked together at what was Polygram Special Markets. And, and they then called that, it Polymedia for a while. That's right. Then it was Polymedia, and that's then right. it became Universal Music Enterprises. And did he know a famous alum from here? 
Who? That worked for Polygram. Besides me. Oh, did you? Oh, yes. Jim Caparo. Uh, yes. yes. I know Jim Caparo. Jim yeah. Caparo, who used to be the CEO and chairman of, uh, was it Island Def Jam? I think he was. Yeah. Right. He was the head of Polygram. Co. He was co-chair. Okay. And uh, yeah, Harry was there and Harry was always a little bit above me. Mm-hmm. In, in well, it's taller than you. Yes, he's much taller. Well, Harry's very mm, tall, yeah, dapper. For the reason. Yeah, yes. So, who's coming next week? <laughs> next you, week. You're done with me already? Th- thank <laughs> you. <laughs> no, we're, Th- we're thank finished. you for being here, you, Harry. You, you said enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good job, Harry. And then uh, coming up next, uh, uh, next week, uh, Mary, I don't remember her last name, from Nam. It's a very special mm-hmm. show. It's not the normal show, is it? It's an abnormal show. Yes. Which would make it. There's lots of avenues in the record business. That's a that's a good guess. Right, right. Actually, Nam is really good because uh, Steve and I went to Nam back in January, mm-hmm. and we gave a speech about alternative revenue streams. Julie went to Nam, and we talked about Nam. you on the air, Julie, Did you? because you're one of uh, two students who. How about this? Why don't you tell the story? How to, explain what Nam was, what you got out of Nam, and how you were able to afford to go. Okay. Well, we were trying to go last year to go to Nam, like the music and entertainment organization. But it didn't work out financially. Nobody had money. So I decided to work an an unbelievable amount of hours and save every penny so I could afford to take myself there. So uh, Nam was, I can't even put it into words how awesome it was. It was all the music products that are coming out, tons of guest speakers, tons of musicians, just an incredible like group of people. The people I met out there in January, I'm still talking to every single day. Um, it was it was amazing. It was like what I got out of it, like just learning how to network yourself, how to talk to other musicians or other people in the industry and how to present yourself and what to like go on as I'm trying to get into this industry. I right. learned so much there. Yeah. It was awesome. Sounds like a great experience. It so was. what, but tell everybody what does NAM stand for? Oh God. National Association of Music Merchandise. Merchants, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Actually, it changed it to Merchandisers. Now. Oh, yes. is it Merchandisers? Okay. But yes, and there was and there's ninety thousand people go, and it is not open to the public. That's what's amazing oh. to me when there's ninety thousand of us, and you get your batteries charged, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just a an energy, really just to, you know, it really uh, charges you up to come back and do music in whatever way you want to or possibly can. Yeah. So. Well, it's I've mostly. never been, so oh. you, you got one on me. Okay. <laughs> it was definitely great. And so our guest next week is yeah. from NAM, the education wing of NAM, because we're going to be speaking about uh, what NAM does for education and how they help musicians and DIY musicians in the business as well. And why did we pick to do this now? This is National Music Education Month. Yes, it is. It is also National Women's Month, Na- Women's, Women's History, History Month. Month. Right. And who was supposed to be here last night? Well, she rescheduled so graciously. And actually, her call was correct last night because after the little snow, we had a lot of sleet and rain. But Julie Greenwald, who is COO of Atlantic Records, will be here April 7th. 7th. And we were very happy that we could find a date immediately so that we could move this and not just have a TBA Next to her. So, and what's great is next week on Tuesday night. For yes. those of you who are in the Wayne area, we have uh, for our we have a music management seminar series that goes on right. every spring here at Wayne Patterson, and, and you'll oh. be hearing it on the radio if you tune in in June. Yes, as uh, we will take the two hour lectures and get them down to one hour for the show in June. 
Thank you, Philip Gorakovsky, for. And next week we have from iHeartMedia. Alyssa Pollack. That's great. Alyssa Pollack, who's vice president over there. Yeah. So that's going to be very interesting, too. For, formerly Clear Channel and now iHeart iHeartMedia, which uh, actually, again, go back to Philip. Philip has uh, had his internship at iHeartMedia all this semester for Elvis Duran Elvis and the Morning Show. And the Morning Show. Very good. So uh, we're just name-dropping galore here <laughs> Yes, today. we can leave now. We it's a good so night. Thank you. God. We should remind you that if you have questions for us or Harry Wanger, please tweet us at MusicBiz101WP. But why don't we jump... Head first into the Harry Wangerathon. Yes, and Dave, why don't you talk about the first time you met Harry and what you guys were doing over at Universe over at Polygram? Over at Polygram, because uh, I met you probably '98 would be my guess, and I'd been with Polygram for eight years, and I had just gone from Polygram Video to Poly Media, I guess. And why don't you explain what the catalog division? When we talk about the catalog division of a record company is, and how it's changed since '98 to. 2015. Uh, you got me stuck in 98 now, I'm trying to think of when we <laughs> met. But uh, so, yeah, this is an interesting thing. This is a side of the business that is not always talked about because uh, people are interested in what's hot and what's new. So the best way for me to explain it is that every major, uh, whether it's Universal Music or Sony or Warner Brothers, um, they have uh, become a major because they've acquired many labels through the years. And uh, you have a president of Capital, and you have a president of Motown, and you have a president of Interscope, and uh, Mercury and Island, etc., right? Everyone who runs those divisions, Republic Records, has their, um, uh, their thing is to make hits and to make money, right? Find new artists, etc. Uh, our job is to... Uh, create opportunities and have income from everything else going back 60, 70 years. So there's a division that was set up uh, so that the presidents of these labels and their departments and all their divisions can focus on current hits. Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, Lord, et cetera, et cetera. And not have to worry about what's happening with a Marvin Gaye opportunity on Scandal. Right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, that's what we do. We're working on reissues of uh, catalog artists, either artists who are off the label, who have passed on, or have a history at the label, like a Bon Jovi, right, who's been with the, with the company in one way or another for 30 years. So there's a back catalog that needs to be managed in some way, whether it's purely through sales, whether it's through film and TV advertising, whether it's through physical products, whether it's through digital initiatives, um, all that gets handled through this division. And there's, I don't know, there's probably 100 people working on this kind of stuff, if not more. In the industry? Or in, no, no, in Universal. In 100 people? Working on catalog. In various yeah. degrees. In various e- degrees. Explain, okay, okay, explain that. Okay, we have these 100, and everybody's thinking, listening, wow, that's 100 people doing A&R. Explain no, no, what no. these 100 people there's are doing. There's eight of us in A&R, eight or nine of us in A&R, because we also now include the EMI group. So that includes the Capitol Records, United Artists, Liberty Records. Um, so that staff came over, and we're all part of the same team now. There's sales, marketing, publicity, promotion, licensing, uh, legal, business affairs, uh, production. You know, how much 
if you're going to make 10,000 pieces of, well, let's say, a compact disc, is it uh, a jewel case? Is it a cardboard sleeve? What? How much is that going to cost? Is it If it's digital, what's the cover look like? What are the specs for the cover? What's the schedule? Production, they handle all that. Um, I'm sure I'm missing art. a lot of people. Who, who, who's There's the art it? department. Yeah. There's a creative department, and they create all the... You know, you, you're not just... If, if I say, for example, I'm going to reissue... It's the 50th anniversary of James Brown's Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. We're going to reissue the album. We're going to reissue it on vinyl. It's already on digital. Well, you don't just take a package off the shelf and say, go make 2,000 of these. You have to get the artwork for the album, front, back, sleeve, label, either have it scanned, find original art if you can, and you're working with the art department to create a version of that for today's market. Now, mm-hmm. how how much are you involved in budgeting, for example? Because if you're making vinyl, for example, oh yeah, finance. you need you need yeah, that's finance, right, guys, finance right. because you need to. <laughs> Those guys are important, I, I, just because they have the money. But you need to figure out: is it going to be a gatefold sleeve? Will it be maybe a two record set? You know, what, is that your decision? Is that finance says here's your budget to do this project? Because and explain how long it takes you to do yeah, a full so, project. Well, let me explain what I do within these dozens of people who work on catalog in each of the majors and I'm, I've been at Universal a long time so I'm experienced with Polygram and Universal. So what I do is I'm responsible for f- looking at opportunities for artists with which I'm most familiar because there's several of us, of us within A&R we have our specialties although we cross over from time to time um, particularly for me Motown, R&B, Jazz th- that kind of stuff uh, is really in my wheelhouse. So if I'm looking at, I'm responsible for the James Brown catalog. So I got involved in the documentary. I got involved in the um, feature film that came out last year. And what do you do around that? So as an A&R person, I think creatively, what do we do around these opportunities? What's missing in the marketplace? What would be the kind of right thing to do? And a lot of times you're going on gut instinct and you're trying to translate a gut instinct into a corporate mentality and working mm-hmm. with guys who also have their own gut instincts about their specialties, right? So we've kind of did a lot last year, right, around the movie. One thing I looked at was digitally, physically there was less of a market. We I realized there were 20 James Brown albums that had, our company had released in some form or another that had never been available in any form except the original vinyl. That many. That many. Right. Mm-hmm. 20 out of 66 albums. And never even on CD. No, going never back, even. A lot going of, back to the heyday right. of CD, they didn't just right. put it out just because they... didn't they, just do it, right. Hmm. And uh, I was at there at, the, at that time too, and there were certain records we just never did. So it was incumbent upon me to look at that as an opportunity and present that to sales and say, in the digital world, and also talk to marketing and say... Are you going to have an opportunity digitally to do something with the James Brown catalog? Yes. Would you like to now have everything? Is it worth us financially to, for me to go and create new masters for 20 more records and remaster some of the key titles, the greatest hits and those kinds of things? Yes, this is an opportunity. So I identified an opportunity and I was given the go-ahead to go ahead and create those products. So fast forward to this year, we've done all that. We've got the DVD of the documentary coming out. 
what else are you going to do? So it's on me to kind of go, what are we going to do? Or someone else in the company says to me, hey, have you thought about, do you realize it's the 50th anniversary of Papa's Got a Brand New Bag? Well, mm-hmm. that, that's a great idea. Okay, you talk in a meeting, sales and marketing, where do you feel is the best way we can apply this thing? Does publicity feel they can make a story out of it being the 50th anniversary? Um, it's an important, the song is an important part of the documentary. Can you tie them together? So where's the opportunity? Well, make the record again. So we're going to make vinyl. I don't think it's been on vinyl in probably 47 years. I mean, the record's available digitally. Uh, it was on CD briefly. It was on CD in Japan, but there's no vinyl. And with vinyl becoming a format that's viable, limited sales, but viable, um, I'm doing that. And then, and then that we're scheduled for end of July and I'm starting the process now. So I've done, uh, the, the profile of what it will cost. I've talked to production. We're going to work up the budgets and I'll make the, uh, cut the lacquers, wait for a test pressing. It's interesting for like me now. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting for you, for you and I having come of age at the height of the CD era in the business, come of age in the business, the height of the CD era. And now also, uh, in terms of technology, I can access music so quickly. And I can, uh, we're doing now a dozen Billy Holiday albums, mastered for uh, high resolution mastering for iTunes replacing a lot of the titles that are already available. We're also going to make available, I think there are five albums that have, are not available anywhere digitally. So there's an opportunity. It's our 100th birthday, April 7th. Um, so, you know, in in that case, uh, we thought of that months ago, and we're mastering and finishing everything this week. Um, so what I was going to say is, working on that, I had an engineer doing something yesterday and I have a ref today in a mm-hmm. folder that I can listen to with, you know, high quality headphones or in my speakers at my office. Explain what a ref is for people who... Uh, a reference copy of the master. Mm-hmm. It's been EQ'd and it's been um, put into specs and uh, I have to listen to see whether it sounds like the original album, if I have that sort of experience. Are there ticks and pops... Are the the spaces between the tracks correct? Is the sequence correct? Are the levels matching from track to track? Mm-hmm. Uh, is track four a little lower than track five? And is it supposed to be? Does track six fade in? Is it supposed to fade in? Hey, wait a minute. Track eight doesn't fade. Does it? Fade? You gotta you know go find the original record and listen. So I have that in a sense, not instantly because it does take a couple of hours to. You know, once you get the tape in house, which I can explain if you want me to, to copy the tape, make sure leaders don't, mm-hmm. you know, analog tape, the leaders doesn't snap and all that kind of thing. Now we're doing a lot of vinyl work. It's like, wait a minute. No, I want it instantly. <laughs> you know, you and it. vinyl, you got to stop. You got to put the needle on the record. You have a physical interaction with the material. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the grooves. It's got to play all the way down. Can't really skip ahead unless you're picking up the needle. 
Mm-hmm. You got to make sure your needle is fresh. Because if I'm saying, hey, you know, it's distorted on track three, well, maybe your needle is screwed up. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to have to now build in an extra, I think we had this conversation the other day in production. You have to build in an extra three months into your brain because you've been wired a different way. And when you're working with vinyl, you can't say, oh, well, let's do it for May. His birthday is May 3rd. Let's do it, you know, whatever. What's uh, May 5th is a Tuesday. That's a release date. So his birthday is Sunday this year. Okay, let's do it then. Uh, You know, you're about six months too slow on that that (laughs) idea. You know, you have to go back in time a little bit and, and think of your production schedule very differently. That in terms of A&R is a lot of what we do. You're, you're thinking of the idea. You're following through on the idea. You're working with a lot of people to make this thing happen, right? And uh, you're touching a lot of aspects of it. And you also have to um, honor the original material. And then you got to be, sh- you know, you got to make sure everybody knows what they're doing and sometimes get out of the way of people who know what they're doing. That's always an interesting um, situation who would those people be um on the studio the, side or? no that yeah i think the best example is probably in every in every aspect so when you're mastering uh, creating a new master generally anything pre 89 pre 25 years ago is analog there's some analog in the last three decades but analog reel-to-reel tape that offers the best resolution unless you're recording digitally at a high resolution. But generally, the older tapes sound amazing. Mm -hmm. And you're transferring that material into digital at a high resolution. What you have to do is, once I've identified Billie Holiday's album, Velvet Mood, not not on iTunes, what is the real record? What does it look like? What does it sound like? How many songs is it? And what sequence are they? got to do all that research before anything happens and then once i know that i order the tape through our vault specialist gives us sends a tape to our studio and we look at and sometimes there's two or three copies because it goes through different iterations different corporate owners Uh, billy holiday in particular was on clef then she's on verve Mm -hmm. then it gets reissued through verve japan and they make their own copy which one is the real one you know Mm -hmm. and sometimes it looks like the original is a copy because the original has been cut into another reel because they, there's different format changes in the 50s. you got to think of all this stuff. You go from 10-inch to 12-inch, which is the real master. So you've got the tape in-house. You've got to trust your vault guy that he's sending you the right stuff. Where's this vault, by the way? Explain I can't the... tell you that. So, but that is, that is right. The vault <laughs> is somewhere. There, there's a vault that's so, off-site. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> right. there, there's a vault that's off-site. A lot and, of the companies use the same... Um, company and we're all in different places and it's and it, it, what is in the vault though it's all master original master, master tapes original master tapes mm-hmm. okay um, some quarter inch <clears throat> generally albums are on quarter inch as we got into the 70s and 80s uh, better fidelity could be had if you transfer it to half inch and uh, 30 IPS inches per second mm-hmm. and Sometimes, usually analog is 15 inches per second, but you get better quality at 30. Uh, and then um, there's one-inch tape. There's two-inch tape. Two-inch is generally 16-track and 24-track multi-track recording, recordings. 
those are often in different locations because you don't, if something happens to the album master, you want to be sure the session that they recorded the album onto is safe. So these tapes are called in, and then you're trusting your engineer to handle the tape appropriately. I don't want to presume that I can handle tape. I handle tape at college radio, and I was in a room like this for three years, and I cut a lot of tape. I did a lot of specialty radio shows, and I cut a lot of reel-to-reel tape. And I know how to do that. I still do, because when we edit digitally, I think of it as an analog tape, and I kind of know where the is or the mm-hmm. is or the right where the beats are or the click is so um but i trust the engineer who has more experience with me in the last 30 years to touch that tape he knows to smell it right <laughs> uh-huh. he knows what era it is what he knows whether it's scotch or mm-hmm. agfa or um ampex ampex by smelling the tape good <laughs> what what's the matter dave are you Philip, making noises? Philip, no, Philip just gave me the hand signal saying in five minutes we have to take a bathroom break for our listeners. But oh, that's, that's uh, okay. 300 seconds, guys. Right. I got a question. Now, <laughs> uh, putting a documentary aside, but you mentioned that you mentioned in passing um, Marvin Gaye or something like that. So mm-hmm. there is then a special coming on, coming up, and there, what happens next at Marvin Gaye's? a catalog of a piece of Marvin, Marvin Gaye would get into you mean, that you're, special. you're speculating there might be a special? Well, you no, you were speculating, I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but how does Mar- Well, it doesn't have to be a special on Marvin Gaye, but just a show is coming up, and then it's right for a well, amusing I, example I guess Marvin the best Gaye, but example, how, do you, how do you get into that? The best example would be Stevie Wonder last year, announced he would do his songs in the key of life tour. right the seven okay is the record on itunes is it master for itunes do we have a high resolution version available is the cd in the stores that mm-hmm. particular album is his greatest hits readily available marketing then steps in with and talks to sales about whether there's going to be a sales campaign i'm not involved in that but i just have to make sure all the everything's kind of lined up mm-hmm. and then um is there another opportunity around that? Because what we've discovered at the end of the tour, it was announced that he would be uh, pay tribute at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. There would be a Grammy special. So there's a CBS television, high profile, highly marketed TV show two weeks ago. Yeah, back in February. February right. 16th, it was on TV. And so around that, again, it's, okay, what are we doing in a short window? What can we accomplish? Do we need to do a new greatest hits? No, we, you know, we had a good one that was doing really well. There wasn't really enough time to do something quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually he's going back out on the road and we're getting Songs in the Key Life out on vinyl, which of course is very complicated because it's two records plus a seven inch. Um, so that will wind its way through the system and take its time. Um, and then in the actual production of the show, because I've worked with this catalog for a long time, the the people working on the program for CBS would come to me and say, okay, we need this album cover and that album cover. And I, it's not really a, a function of my job, but because of my experience, I know, okay, go ask that guy. Th- I would send them, this is the correct cover mm-hmm. for this moment in the show. This is the correct photo for this moment in the show. Go to that person and, 
get permission to use that in the show, but I would at least be able to identify the right song, the right versions, the right cover. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Opportunities outside of that, you know, we're always hoping to do more with TV Wonder, but you know, it's it's kind of up to it's up to him at this point. But I, I just wanted to, to finish this this thought about um, you know trusting the engineer. Once then you're discussing with production and your art department of what's the album cover look like, what's the correct cover, not the reissue cover if it's wrong. Is there a border put around it by somebody in the CD era that's wrong? So you then have to trust them with their design and let them do what they're going to do and get out of the way and focus on what you know how to do best, which is make the record. Mm-hmm. All right, so what we're going to do, that's very good, Harry. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're going to listen to uh, the Ally Mac Project, The World Is Ours, which won the contest, and that's why she's doing that. When we come back, we're going to bring up the fact that we had a Braveathon contest that ended yesterday. Julie, the student co-host, has some specific questions for Harry about uh, right. music supervision. And uh, we're going to be back. So you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Get those tweets in at Music Biz 101 and more. WPSC Brave, new radio. Say, Dave, do you know that One Direction had the number one stadium tour this year? No. Do you know that YouTube won't make the same licensing deal with the indie labels that it does with the majors? They won't. Do you know that Vivo only airs videos from Sony and Universal and does not censor any material? Hey, Steve, how do you know all this stuff? Because last semester I tuned into Music Biz 101 and more on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. on WPSC Brave New Radio and heard industry guests talk about all of this stuff. That's that cool show from the Music and Entertainment Industry Management Department on campus that you can call in or tweet questions about the Music Biz, right? It's the only one in the country, and it's a Stitcher Radio podcast as well. Wow, so the show airs live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. I bet they have great guests lined up. I'd like to learn more about touring using social media and DIY stuff. Just coincidentally, the semester's show will include tour manager Dave Laurie, social media whiz Sean Rosenberg, and from Clifton, Sean and Rachel from Blue Raven Entertainment. When's that show on again? Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., live only on 88.7 WPSC, Brave New Radio, and And it's it's free! If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP 88.7 You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. That's right. We are back. Music Biz 101 and more. That's right. Quietly. I got, yes, we got right in. Usually we let uh, Ali Max, The World Is Ours, play a little bit longer, but we jumped right in because we have so much to do with Harry Wanger. Great. And uh, we should also let you know that there was a nice little jingle promo that was played right before this by Mr. Tim Geisen, mm-hmm. the weekly Music Biz 101 and more promo, which we love. You can tweet us at Music Biz 101 WP. You can uh, call or text us 973 720 2738. Well, quick thing before we get back to Harry. We had a contest called the Braveathon. Yes, which for April April 17th, 17th 
15th. Sorry, yes, April 15th is Braveathon. Right? No, April 17th. I think it's the 17th. Friday. Yeah, Friday, April 17th is Braveathon. Dave. I got to get my. Yeah. Um, By then, I will have quit. He hasn't done his taxes. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's related to that. But um, we had people enter because we had two separate contests for people to perform live on WPSC on Friday morning, April 17th. The slot at 9 o'clock, a slot at 10 o'clock. And the contest is over. It is over. It ended last night. And when we're back next week, we are going to announce the winner. Two winners. So we're going to announce the winners back then or in then. Up till then, until then, until then, in the future. Yes, we, we're teaching today about grammar and tense, tenses today. Of course, Harry Wanger used to be a, a lawyer, Are you a writer. Tense? <laughs> I'm very tense right now. By the way, Harry's going to be with me on Saturday night, March 7th, in, uh, at the Wayne United Methodist Church. Uh, that's another reason we're here, because uh, we're putting on a big charity event for Kumak which is a big, uh, one of uh, North Jersey's most pivotal food banks. And we're mm-hmm. raising money and awareness for the food problem, the hunger problem in New Jersey. And Harry's going to be speaking at the Wayne United Methodist Church, and uh, I'll be there, and there's going to be music, and it's all about Motown. You'll be giving a talk for about eight hours about uh, the vault. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. We can't Actually, wait. I, no, I am. We joke around, but I am. It's Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming, Harry. <laughs> All right. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't we have Julie Welgas, who is our student co-host. Uh, Julie has explained the project that you need to do for college, and uh, then start with your questions Okay, for well, I'm graduating in May. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm very interested in music supervision. And mm-hmm. as my final project, I'm putting together a reel where I go out and I interview people from the industry that have experience with music supervision and, you know, asking them just general questions or you know so if i could ask you something could i right now yeah. or as part <laughs> right or now later right now your project you can ask me something well, now. i haven't done a lot of it yeah but, but you do have experience with it or like even a and r in general i'm interested in and mm-hmm. things like that and i would like to know well what, what's your experience with it with what with music supervision uh well i worked a bit on um this documentary standing in the shadows of motown which my friend Alan Slutsky toiled over for many, many years. Uh, there wasn't much to supervise because he created a concert and uh, the live show was the live show. Generally, music supervision, it involves um, working with a director, looking at a script, and the director is making suggestions for music cues that he wants in the film, whether it's someone's in the car and the radio or the music is, music is there for texture or it's there for some emotional pull that's not score, right? You're licensing music from other people. Yeah. And uh, I've also, I worked a bit on um, Get On Up, the James Brown film that was out last year, directed by Tate Taylor. Mm-hmm. In that case, uh, there was an official music supervisor on board. There are two, actually, Margaret Yen and Bud Carr. Margaret was there from the beginning. And because I'd worked so much with the James Brown catalog, they invited me into the project. And so what that involved was really looking in the script in detail and the director would want, hey, I think there he should do, man. it's a man's 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 world. But I want a different kind of version that you normally heard. And gee, maybe we'll have to get a sound alike to, to do this version that I have in my head. And I said, well, I might be able to help you because I knew the vault. I knew that there was a different version of the song that would be useful. And it's actually in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, in other cases, you know, you may be somebody because you have a particular interest or you've made something your expertise 
Mm, right? Yeah. Then you can be looked upon by other creative people as somebody who has an idea for music in a script. Mm. That's the creative aspect. Most of music supervision actually is the other part of it, which is licensing the music. And so you become the expert at knowing, well, you want to use this record by Scorpions, some hard rock song. Oh, I know that's owned by this label, and I know who to go to at that label, and I can get it for this rate because we're an independent film or we're this or we're that, based on your music budget. And you find a way to, with all your contacts, to have your music come in under budget or at budget. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, You remember the show Freaks and Geeks? Yeah, I love that Mm -hmm. show. Do you know that that took years (laughs) to come on DVD because the music budget was, you know, a million dollars, right? Okay. It's crazy because they had hit songs in the show that were difficult and or expensive to license. And when that television series was on the air, they did not license the music at that time. For they future were, they technology. weren't thinking ahead. They, weren't they were just thinking, right. yes. They were licensing for the moment that it was aired and for a number of reruns. Which, just, uh, just to take away from that, is if you are a future producer or something mm-hmm. and you need to think about the various revenue streams of right. the of the project that you're working on, like a television show, you need to be thinking, all right, let's say this does hit and we do want to put it out on DVD or put it out for streaming streaming or something like that. You need to be thinking about licensing all those uses now. Mm -hmm. So uh, you don't run into that problem. Think of all the money that they lost on DVD revenue for freaks and geeks. Sure. Over, over all those years because they didn't think ahead. And you'd also be creative by, if you're hip to up and coming artists Sometimes the best way to expose them is in a film, a TV series, an ad campaign, uh, a YouTube video, yeah. something that... But that's like why I find it so interesting because I know a lot of the music that I've discovered like on my own recently or like in recent years is from hearing it in the background of a movie or a mm-hmm. TV show and right. like it's really just like sets the entire mood of that scene or, you know, more so. And I always was, have been curious, like, who makes those decisions and... How does that come about? You know, are, are these people that are picking the soundtrack to a, sa- uh, a show or a movie or a play, where are they, they finding this music at? Because it's usually, like like you said, artists that aren't so big. Like Sometimes a, a director can be stuck on something. Mm-hmm. They'll hear something and say, that mood fits what I want. Yeah. And the music supervisor can say, okay, I'll go get it for you, right? And you find maybe p- perhaps the budget isn't going to work and you have to come up with some alternative that may be miraculous. Right. And then you're the hero. Um, or you can, you know, there are times when a director may really, really want, we were just talking off, off mic earlier with the doctor about a Marvin Gaye song in, in scandal, for example, or how to get away with murder. They, uh, scandal always likes to use one old school R and B song. She always has one Ohio players, staple singers, Marvin Gaye. Right. Shonda Rhimes really, in my mind, has a decision. I want that song in that scene. Make it work. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the collaborative effort there is. It may be that Kerry Washington said, I really love this song by the Ohio Players. Or I love, make, will that work? People make these suggestions. Um, But I think, you know, the... The opportunity for you is to bring something to somebody. Find somebody making a student film. Mm-hmm. You know, figure out a way to get, they want their friend's song in, 
and practice, right? Their friend has recorded a song. It's on SoundCloud. How are you going to license it? You got to figure it out. Is is the song published? Do they have to pay royalties because it's a student film? Is it free? Are they? Did these people get signed? Um, you know, you can find your way around into the business in that way. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Harry. That was really nice. <laughs> There's nothing else that you needed to get out of Harry for your project? I do have a question, not so much about music supervision, but A&R. And, okay. Um, I'm very curious, you know, we talked, who, last year or two years ago at the Music Management Seminar, I think it was Pete Gangberg, who was A&R for Atlantic, was yes. it? Yeah, and he was saying, you know, how he got his start there. He had a, he had a mixtape. He had to make a mixtape. Um, of his favorite music and bring it to the guy and say, this is the music I like. And whoever was hiring at the time said, okay, I like your taste of music. I, I'll bring you aboard. And like reading up on A&R, they always say it's going to be someone who's young, who's uh, knows what up and coming music there is or what's hip and stuff. But is that so, is that true? Is that like to be an A&R, do you need to be young and fresh and know what's new? Or can you just have like that ear for what you like or what you think others will like? I don't know if the question really applies to me, frankly, mm-hmm. um, because my job in A&R is really with people who have pre-sold hits, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're managing things that have already happened. You're not looking for something new. Knowing how labels work, you're always looking for the next hit, right? Yeah. And so I think it would behoove you to bring, uh, you know, to have a mixtape of things that you like and show your taste. I yeah. mean, that sounds like a great way to get a gig. <laughs> I want to work for that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> that that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, when I, uh, you know, when I was trying to get started in the business, and I had one small connection at Arista Records back in the day, and I had interned there, and I went to the head of A and R, and I said, "What can I do?" He said, "Start bringing me songs. Bring me songs. Find me songs you like. Find me songs you think somebody on Arista could cover. They don't have to be new. You don't have to write them. You don't have to." You can go down the block and get a friend to, to write a song and bring it to me, fine. But find me a song that nobody knows that somebody on this label can cover. And I just kept bringing him stuff and bringing him stuff and bringing him stuff and bringing him stuff and bringing him stuff. And bringing him stuff. Ultimately, I did other things. But, uh, you know, it's not easy. Um, you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. And those, I think, you know, you have to hit it all, right? Young and fresh is kind of a cliche, and you're young and you seem kind of fresh. But <laughs> you know, do you also have the ear? That I think that long term, that's going to serve you. Yeah, that's going to be the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we need to get to if it's okay. A that's bunch fine. of tweets. Thank we you. have tons of tweets to read sure. to you. But before we do that, my tweet was, "When did we meet again?" What time is the show? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, before we do that, we, we talk about how to get into the business. You guys were just talking about that, and and what is it? And, and you had mentioned, you know, the guy told you just keep coming here, keep you know, bring me stuff, bring me stuff. Yeah. Um, there's somebody sitting in the studio with us named Joey Stefan. Joey. Right? Joey. Joey. This is his third or fourth time he sat in just God, to listen and just to meet our guest. And mm-hmm. I always want to point that out because. That's a networking thing, and that's going, you know, a little bit further than other people. Um, just to meet you, and just to learn more about you, and hear more about what you do. So, Joey actually has a question 
for you that he's going to read on the air live on WPSC <laughs> Music Biz 101 and more. Joey! Okay. You were mentioning how when you're looking at your catalog and you know you would put out, re-release something that already was a hit, you can see you know if it would be profitable or not. Do you ever look back at your catalog and see almost missed opportunities and missed hits that might potentially you know hit in the future market and say, okay, well, let's re-release this. It might become a hit now. Sometimes, sometimes the market will dictate that. Sometimes there are things that happen. I mean, I, this is years ago, but it's the first thing that came to mind. I'm sure there's other examples. Uh, I was working on a Martha and the Vandellas collection and uh, there was an unreleased song deep in the vault called It's Easy to Fall in Love with a Guy Like You. Great song. You just think it never came out? That's a whole other topic. I mean, that's a whole other hour about Motown's M.O. and how they put things back in the vault. They voted on records, and this one didn't make the album. And a friend of mine said to me, don't overlook that song. Put it on whatever we were doing. I forget what it was. Put it on this compilation. So I did. And it ended up in Hitch. And the soundtrack sold two million copies. Mm. You know? So that that just kind of came out of nowhere because... A music fan who perhaps had connections as a music supervisor heard that song and brought it to someone's attention who was working on the film and somehow made its way through the labyrinth of the business and got on in this movie. Um, What I ended up doing was, because all we had was this mono vault mix, was I later did another Martha Vandela's Greatest Hits, and we put that track on there and did a new mix in stereo, and it was a known title because of the movie. So anybody kind of, mm. you could find it both ways mm-hmm. on the soundtrack, on this rarities package and on the greatest hits that had the version in stereo. Um, I think anytime you're, you can dip in the vault and find things, it's really, it can be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things can be reinvigorated. Um, sometimes they're just cool things to yeah. find, you know. Right. You have another one? Yeah, a question from Joelle Felipe. Uh, she says, do you think there's any way to market Motown music to the younger generations who have no clue what that even is? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Barry Gordy, who was the founder of Motown, probably feels the musical was a, a way to do it. And we were involved, my company was involved in that, uh, being so connected with the Motown catalog. And I was able to um, have a part in the cast album and things like that. Um and go you to know, a few weddings. Yeah. I mean, the music is now so that those tracks are now so pervasive, right? They're everywhere. It's it's hard to sort of tease out what's really Motown and put in context of the '60s or the '70s. Um, it's always an interesting question of how you present things to a new generation. You know, the way Disney will take a a movie, put a movie out on VHS, then on DVD, then yank it from the marketplace, bring it back. Um, you know, that that's a challenge for us all the time with Motown. I did a remix project 10 years ago. Would I do that again? Is it worth doing? It's an interesting question. Is that something that, quote, the kids want? Are the originals just fine? I think movies and, and TV are a good way to get the music out there. I think that's uh, that has a lot of impact. You know what? Where the the territory that Motown may be getting into now is, uh, and Julie's going to read a question from somebody who's a, a, a jazz graduate student. Is you get into that sort of jazz classical field of fewer people are interested in classical music or in jazz music, at least here in the United States. And Motown is now starting to get to that. 
Yeah, it's, it's, you, you, know. you kind of took the words out of my mouth. Thanks, Dave. But, Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, where I think, um, to be serious for a minute, where I call it we're entering into the jazz age from mm-hmm. Motown, yeah. where you're studying it in the classroom. It's out of context of what it was originally. You know, it was jazz was a dance music, and now it, you sit and study and go, hmm, interesting. And uh, I've taught two courses on Motown, so, you know, I know what that is to sit and try to look at it from an academic viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Philip Engsberg wants to know, Harry, how does someone who's concerned with reviving music of the past gain credibility slash recognition in the music industry? Does he mean as a performer? Yeah. As a writer? As a performer. Probably. In this case, I think it's performer. Performer. Uh, and you could, you could speak about it from your perspective as well. Well... You know, I listen to something like Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson just go, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, how many records of this that, you know, from my perspective, emotionally, it hits a lot of buttons because it sounds like a lot of my favorite records roll yeah, into one. Right. And you wonder, is there now going to be a bunch of guys trying to do that too? Um, I don't know. It's all going to get filtered through your your current cultural thing and you're a slice of the timeline and your own emotions you know you you're going to interpret in your own way i think if you're purely retro you're you you know you might as well be the jazz band that dresses up in 40s clothes and Mm -hmm. you're trying to recreate a moment you're not filtering it through your own sensibilities um i don't know if that really answers your question but i think that as long as, if you're a writer or a performer, if the person Philip asking that question, I think that you um, need to do what you do and bring the old school sensibility to that. Uh, you know, I, I'm on the same floor in my job as Universal Music Publishing, and I've been introduced to a couple of guys because they're interested in old school. So I'm like the guy down the hall they go and <laughs> talk to. And they write the most contemporary, wonderful records, and yet they know about Lester Young, they know about Marvin Gaye, they know about Barrett Strong, they know Mm -hmm. about Norman Whitfield, and they incorporate that into their music. And I think you just have to know who those guys are. Uh, Philip Engsberg, who just tweeted that question, actually just walked into the studio. That's Uh, modern technology. Look at this, he just materialized. College is awesome. Yeah, that's great. Actually, I could clear up um, kind of what I was. Did you listen going to my I did. I did. Okay, and, and and how did you get past security? <laughs> yeah, I, I know kung fu. It's great. Yeah. Um, I was just watching I, Wolverine. Oh my god. <laughs> I, Wolverine is for Halloween a few years ago, actually. But neither here nor there. Um, Too much information. <laughs> um, I was actually more concerned about how you did it as a producer. Well, I think you know that. Let me define what I do as a producer because I'm a compilation producer. So I'm not making a record, right? I'm not hiring the musicians, right? I'm uh, making something that wasn't there before. So I basically produce something. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it with a lot of other people. But, you know, uh, if I want to do Marvin Gaye's greatest hits, there's been many of them through the years, but there isn't one with a particular sequence that I'm doing or whatever, you know, that thing is. Or how did you establish yourself as someone who is my, what are my bona fides yeah oh, it goes way back to uh uh i mean i i had been working my specific experience is that i had been working at polygram in publicity writing press materials and my interest really was in this growing department that was a few floors down 
that seemed to have the coolest job in the world because what they did all day was listen to Hank Williams, Eric Clapton, the Almond Brothers, James Brown, Cool and the Gang. I thought, I'm going to go hang out with those guys. Yeah. And what all they were doing was there was this new technology called Compact Disc, which Polygram's parent company at the time, Philips, had invented. So there was this push to fulfill the pipeline for compact discs. And I would just go hang out with these guys. And they would come every day and go, you know, CDs are new. So I like the Almond Brothers. How come the Almond Brothers aren't on CD? I think we'll do that. So they would turn to me and say, we're doing a Donna Summer Greatest Hits. Can you write the liner notes? Because I was, quote, the writer. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Can I stay here? (laughs) And, um... I, because I had done production in college, I did radio production in college, and I, as explained earlier, I done I did a lot of production. Mm-hmm. I knew my way around the studio. I was not intimidated to go into the room and say to an engineer, "I need it to sound brighter. I need to sound warmer. Maybe that track should be a little more purple. It doesn't feel warm enough." <laughs> you know, when I first heard that record, it just sort of trickled down like rain when I heard the background vocals. Can you make it sound like that? And the guys who were hiring me to write the notes said, oh, maybe you could go in the studio and tell the engineer that too, and you could curate the, mm-hmm. these things in the catalog. So we only have to hire one guy instead of two, so I made myself in that way indispensable. And um, I guess I guess I did it right, because that was 25 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, all I can say was I just kept doing it until they told me to stop, and they didn't tell me to stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you make your mistakes. But, I mean, in, in terms of that, it's... I talk to a lot of guys, young, who start their own labels, their own reissue labels, because mm-hmm. they have a passion. And they know the majors can't put out everything. So they look at opportunities. We were talking earlier about opportunities that mm-hmm. I have to curate. What do independent labels, how do they create their own catalog? They look at things that we're not touching. And so a lot of them have great ideas. And then are they coming in to Universal, for example, and saying, hey, you have... Uh, ben, the Benny Mardones catalog That's from right. Polydor in 1982. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And you're doing nothing with that. Uh, I you're laughing, license. but it's true. That's that's exactly yeah. what happens. Yeah. And, and so, okay, and so they here, license here, yeah, the rights and, to that, right? And we have a special markets department, like where you, you used to work. Yeah. And you, uh, those guys quote terms to them. Here's what it will cost. You make 1500 it costs this much. You make 3000 it costs this much. Here's what the price point should be. Here's what your costs are going to be. If you think you can make it for that price, here you go. And if we all agree on it, like if I'm not doing anything with Benny Mardonis that quarter or that year, then we, you know, there's generally a license put out for those guys. By the way, somebody should tweet at MusicBiz101WP and tell me what Benny Mardonis' biggest hit was, and then I will sing it to you. Yeah. (laughs) Because I know the answer to that. But, okay, so, but in that specific example, the person is, is Universal doing the production or is he, like, getting the master and he's doing the production on his own? Is they're getting a copy of the players? master and they're creating their own product. And, and you guys have no problem giving the master to... Well, we don't we give them a copy of the master. Uh-huh. <laughs> they get a copy of the master. But a high-quality copy of the master. Yes. I just, I wouldn't trust you. But, okay. Um, just, that was Philip... Uh, Engsberg. Yeah. And so right now in the studio, we have two Phillips and a Philp. Because oh I'm the Philp that has never happened before. And I'm, I'm a little sweaty <laughs> because of it. Um, but how much time do we have, Philip Gorachowski? We have two minutes left. Okay. Do we, Mark, Steve Marconi, do you want to get in one last question? 
Um, I think that um, we sort of covered everything, though, but uh, what I was interested in, we just sort of touched on, is that there can be opportunities that are out there for, let's say, a special or a movie or a series or something, and then somebody is looking for a song that you guys actually own, Mm -hmm. and then you get involved. Well, the music supervisor for that show would identify, if if a song has been identified as going to be in the show, they go to the record company that owns that master. Right. And they talk to the publishing company that owns the the mechanical royalty for the songwriter. Right. So if they've identified, it's we were just talking Marvin Gaye and a mountain high enough with Tammy Terrell. Right. They know to go to a certain person at Universal Music to license the track. That doesn't happen to be me, right? Unless they need me to identify but then a master. That is in that show. That show is a hit, and that creates opportunities for you to look at maybe additional Marvin Gaye stuff. Yeah, generally nowadays because of the uh, the uh, swiftness of the media now. Mm-hmm. If it's on a show like Scandal, we know we're going to have a certain amount of digital downloads of that song. You'll see a spike in digital downloads. Mm -hmm. But I can't necessarily respond that fast to put out a new compilation. Right. Right. It all happens very quickly. You can't respond as fast as Philip Bensberg walking into the room right after we said his tweet. We need to wrap this up, Harry. First of all, Harry Wanger, will you come back? You have to come back. I would like to come back. Thank you, Dave. We would love to have you. And thank you for. Thanks, everybody. Next time we'll give you some water. And thank you for not uh, charging us to have you here. You're listening to The World is Ours, Ali Mack Project. We want to thank Philip Gorachowski, our producer. Thank you, Philip. We want to thank Julie Welgas for being here and being a fine student. Good job, Julie. (laughs) Harry Wanger, Universal Music Enterprise, is a vice presidente. Thank you very much. Two-time Grammy winner. Yay. Not three, two. So what have you done for me lately, Harry? And then we want to thank Dr. Stephen Marconi. Next week. Next week. (laughs) Next week, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Come on back. Listen to Brave New Radio 88.7. Music is 101 and more. I am your your co-host, David Kirk. Philip, I am a professor, and I bid you all... Get out of here! Taking it off.